Welcome to Interfilm Recommends, a podcast for film club leaders which explores new and classic titles for you to use with your clubs. My name's Eleanor and this week I'm joined by Joe, and we're from the programming team here at Interfilm. Today's theme is Roald Dahl and we're going to be exploring angles for you to use with these well-loved titles with primary aged clubs. So why have we chosen Roald Dahl? Well he's been enchanting young people for generations and his films have always been hugely popular at Interfilm forming a massive cornerstone of what we aim to do. September the 13th, always Roald Dahl Day in the UK, is particularly special this year because it marks the centenary of his birth. So to join in the celebrations, we thought we'd talk a little bit about the marvellous world of Roald Dahl on film. There are tonnes of brilliant Roald Dahl-related activities on the Interfilm website, as well as the films themselves, which are all available to order, and which we should say are all PG rated or below, so if you're a primary teacher, you shouldn't have any concerns on that regard. There are film guides for most of the titles, and loads of in-depth resources, which really unpack the themes in detail, and there's all sorts of quizzes and activities designed with curriculum links to be used either in the classroom or your after-school club. Just go to the Interfilm site and search for Roald Dahl to find all of our information. Because Roald Dahl adaptations are so well-known and well-loved, we're taking a slightly different approach in our podcast today. We're going to be tackling the world of Roald Dahl adaptations through recurring themes and some of his major concerns, kind of different chunks. We're also going to be marking this anniversary through the Interfilm Festival in November. A huge number of Dahl-related screenings and special events will be taking place up and down the country between the 9th and 25th of November. Tickets are free and bookings open on the 6th of September. Do go to interfilm.org forward slash festival to find out more. So one of the things that stands out when you look at the films made from Dahl's books are the number of high-profile directors who have been attracted to his work over the years, who are all very well known in their own right with their particular and very personal style and themes. It's striking when looking at his films how different they all are from one another, despite clearly coming from the same author. The summer of 2016, of course, saw the release of Steven Spielberg's version of the BFG. Reuniting with E.T. screenwriter Melissa Matheson, The film used groundbreaking technology to bring giant country to life like never before. BFG was first published in 1982, the same year as E.T.'s release, and the stories are remarkably similar. As young audiences in 1982 were falling in love with the transformative friendship between the lonely young boy and an alien visitor as they embarked on whiffling adventures in E.T., they were similarly transfixed by the magical friendship between two other lonely individuals in strange surroundings, Sophie and the BFG. Another really distinctive director who took on the world of Roald Dahl is Tim Burton, and he did an adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in 2005. The first version of this film was made in 1971 and starred the late Gene Wilder, who put in an iconic appearance as the eccentric factory owner, and this very much laid the groundwork for Tim Burton's version. Um, He revisited and updated this material, and he actually delved a bit deeper into the backstory of how Willy Wonka became such an odd and isolated figure. Burton also added his characteristically dark touches with scenes of malfunctioning machinery and barely concealed disdain from Johnny Depp, who played Wonka in this version. British director Nicholas Rode was perhaps best known for directing seminal adult horror films like Don't Look Now and graphic swinging London crime drama performance before he took on The Witches. And although Dahl himself didn't care for the film, like many of the film adaptations of his work, it seems the perfect fit for Rode's macabre humour. I think part of the power of Dahl is his ability to take us out of the real world, which often seems scary and bewildering, both personally and when you switch on the news, and do what all great storytelling should do, 
which is to transport us into another world where magic is kin and the imagination runs free and where you learn that the smallest person really can make a difference. However, The Witches is slightly different in that it takes place in something that's more resembling the real world, which is partly what makes it so powerful and scary. The Witches are seemingly ordinary people, living ordinary lives, and they could live next door. What Rode brings to the story is that he crafts it like an actual horror film. There are mysterious goings-ons in paintings, a creepy hotel setting, and many of the set pieces seem to belong to a film with a much older age group in mind than this particular story even if this one does have Mr Bean as the owner of the hotel. I think that that one is a particularly sort of frightening one. It's one that actually, as a child, I was um, I was a little bit afraid to finish. It's always one you'd kind of watch clutched be- you know behind what? a pillow. Absolutely, I was the same. I, In fact, I have to hold my hands up. I had never gotten through all of it as a child, and it was only when I came to work at Interfilm that I finally was able to get through the whole thing. And I Fucked up the courage. Absolutely, and I re-went and you know, re-watched it recently, and it's terrifying and it, it properly properly scary um and yeah it's remarkable actually but I, I love it I think it's so dark and twisted and beautifully grotesque <laughs> your disgrace miserable witches you're good for nothing worms everywhere I look I see the repulsive sight of hundreds, thousands of revolting little children. Another film um, that has been taken on by an auteur director is uh, Fantastic Mr Fox, which again is a kind of slightly more kind of adult and mature spin on the source novel. Um, so Wes Anderson has kind of made this a very funny and visually appealing um, film, but it's as kind of as rewarding for the adults in the room as it is for the children. Um, and he really injects into it all of his kind of concerns that come through in a lot of his films about difficult, complex family relationships. Um, you can see that in the rivalry between Ash, uh, Fantastic Mr Fox, his son and his cousin Christopherson and this kind of jealousy about his father's attention and there's this whole thing about how all of the characters are kind of going through their own issues and they're sort of growing up they're staying safe and there's also this kind of being who you're meant to be theme um, which really comes through um, one of the fellow screenwriters uh, is the sort of mumblecore director Noah Baumbach who also has these similar concerns that come through in a lot of his films um, as well as that, there is a lot of the kind of stuff that would really appeal to children. There's uh, nature versus nurture. The creatures are kind of shown to be very civilised. They have their own societies. They interact with other species. And they have kind of things that have been done in a really kind of um, appealing way. they kind of their sports, their vehicles. They even have estate agents. Um, and there's this whole thing about kind of trying to do the right thing at the right time. Um, so Mr Fox has his family and he has everything that he needs, but he wants to do more and he kind of wants to indulge in his kind of wilder side and do one last raid. So he breaks the promise that he's made to his wife, compromising the security of his family and the community to go back and indulge in his one last kind of bit of nature. I don't want to live in a hole anymore. It makes me feel poor. We are poor, but we're happy. Come see, come saw. Anyway, the views are better above ground. Honey, I'm seven non-fox years old now. My father died at seven and a half. I don't want to live in a hole anymore. And I'm going to do something about it. So this is a really lovely animation. It's um, made using traditional stop-motion techniques. And I think it's got a real nod to the visual style um, of Quentin Blake's illustrations, who famously um, drew all the pictures for the Roald Dahl's novels. 
Absolutely. I don't think you can disassociate Blade from Dahl, really, can you? Anybody who grew up reading the books has that image of those illustrations in their heads whenever they read the stories, and I think they're so beautiful and so iconic. They really complement the, the storytelling style. Um, they're very dynamic, kind of scratchy, they're charming, but they're not cutesy. Um, and so the stop motion used in this really reflects that kind of personality and craftsmanship that goes into these much-loved illustrations. Um, and you really see it in scenes like the sort of terrible tractors moment, um, which kind of, if you look at the illustrations, you can really see how they've kind of set it up to take off directly from that from that scene on the page. Yeah, and speaking of Quentin Blade, I'm convinced that they have a blink-in-your-missit appearance in the BFG. Now, I say that because I haven't seen anywhere else to confirm this, and it may have just been in my head and in my imagination, but I'm pretty sure they're there. And um, Spielberg has got form in that, because um, in The Adventures of Tintin, um, he just sprinkled in some references to the original Herze cartoons. So I'm pretty sure I'm right, but if anybody uh, wants to watch the film and review it on our website and write in to let me know if I am correct then please do so. That's fantastic. So there's this real delight and detail in this stop-motion animation version of his work uh, and there's this real recreation of all the personalities and the ticks in Fantastic Mr Fox. Um, and another film that has also kind of done this is James and the Giant Peach which was directed by Henry Selick who also did The Nightmare Before Christmas, that was his first feature debut, and Coraline. So he's kind of got this form of taking on these quite dark stories for children and creating these magical worlds. Um, and I really like the way that there is this kind of magical transformation in this film from live action to animation, which is a real turning point in James's destiny. He's got this kind of epic and fantastical voyage, which um, brings these bug characters to life and, and lets all the kind of magical things that happen really take centre stage. And it kind of contrasts that the real danger is the ants, which is, you know, kind of what happens in the live action version of the mm. film. And the perils that he encounters on his journey in the giant peach are actually animated. James is kind of now looked up to as a leader by his new crewmates, these bugs, whereas before he was a helpless orphan, kind of under the control of his aunts. Spiker! Look! A peach! A what? A peach! There, on that branch! Why, that old tree's never had so much as a blossom on it, let alone a... Well, I'll be blowed. There really is a peach there. A nice big one, too. We get it. The boy. Now you be a good little boy and climb up there and get that peach for your dear aunties. Can we eat it? Of course we can. We'll share it. Me and your aunt Spiker. Start climbing. Wait. What? 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 It's, it's growing. The boy. No, the peach, you idiot. It's worth saying that Henry Sellett was um, a protégé of Tim Burton as well. It's just kind of demonstrating this kind of close circle of filmmakers that are, you know, attracted to Dahl's work. Um, there are rumours now that Sam Mendes is doing up to direct a live-action version of James and the Giant Peaks. Um, so, yeah, what's his space? It just proves um, that he continues to attract filmmakers at the height of their powers. So one of the major themes running through Dahl's stories is that of bullying. Dahl didn't want his stories to be full of nice people doing nice things. His films are full of nasty people being very mean to one another. Of course, these characters, whether it's Miss Trunchbull and Matilda, the aunts and James and the Giant Peeps, or the witches themselves, do usually get their comeuppance at the end. But their mean-spiritedness is always in contrast with the good characters, bringing out their goodness in far more pronounced ways. 
To build on this theme, for Anti-Bullying Week this year, inspired by the Anti-Bullying Alliance's Power for Good focus, we've put together a series of one-page film guides on Dahl's films, specifically around the concept of bullying. Looking at Matilda, the BFG, James and the Giant Peaks, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the guides have loads of questions designed to draw out these ideas and get young people thinking about the power for good and why it's important to be nice to each other, even if it sometimes makes for a boring story. <laughs> so leading on from the anti-bullying theme, um, I think we can quite often see in Roald Dahl's work that the adults are quite often shown to be the bullies. Um, and this kind of reveals his vision that not all adults are role models and that actually children should be trusted to know right from wrong. Um, I think we can really see this in films such as Matilda, where kind of her parents have this lazy assumption that their words should be law as they are the adults, which is the kind Ooh. of same thing in James and the Giant Peach, where the aunts kind of have total control over the situation. But we as the reader or as the viewer can see that actually Matilda and James have the best instincts in those situations. And often the bullying situation is created by adults in a kind of battle for control. So um, again, going back to Matilda and Miss Trunchbull, um, she has this very unusual and very cruel discipline over the school, Crunchham Hall. And uh, in the film Danny, Champion of the World, we have Victor Hazel, the property developer, whose kind of bullying tactics are what creates the situation that he and his father need to kind of work together to overcome. So adults don't really get an easy ride in Roald Dahl's stories. There are, of course, some beacons of hope. Again, going back to Matilda, we have Miss Honey, who is the kind of sympathetic character that actually mm. recognises um, what Matilda can do and, and helps her to kind of achieve more and to stand up to her parents. And uh, Danny's father and Danny of the Champion of the World is shown to be a strong father figure. And, um, of course, we have Charlie's grandfather and Willy Wonka, who kind of helps him through the adventure and uh, prevents him from making some of the same mistakes that some of the other children do. Yeah, and actually I think that's part of Dar's appeal. You know, he's got this slightly gruesome sense of humour and sense of play and I think that helps children to see him as being on their side and having a young person's perspective on the world. You know, Dar's something of a grandfather figure for many young people, I think. And it's worth remembering that he didn't come to fame until, you know, fairly late on in his life, so he's always had this kind of as I say, this grandfather senior, senior figure, but with a very kind of youthful perspective on the world and you know, that sense of play. So with Dahl, you often see the grandparents teaming up with the children to take on the mean adults. And it's probably no coincidence that while adults tend to get a rough ride in these stories, grandparents, whether it's the grandmother in The Witches or, of course, Grandpa Joe in Charlie, tend to have a rather different bond with the young protagonists. He's also not afraid to show some children in a horrible light too. Greedy children are a common theme in many of his stories, such as Bruce, Bod, Trotter and Matilda, the child who's turned into a mouse in The Witches, and of course Charlie's fellow guests at the chocolate factory. Whereas Dahl often seems to take great delight in gruesomely killing off many of his adult characters, who can forget that James's parents are eaten by a rhinoceros on page one of James and the Giant Peeps, he is a little bit kinder to his children but he does make sure that they learn a lesson or two before they're let completely off the hook. I think one of the main kind of strengths of Dahl's stories is that children are shown to be quite strong and quite resilient. They're the leaders of their own adventures and they make difficult decisions and face their fears. Um, again, James and the Giant Peach and Matilda are such strong examples of this. Um, and it really shows that curiosity can be quite a good thing. Mistakes are kind of made on the way to knowledge and they're brave enough to challenge adults. And I think 
his kind of use of comedy as well really kind of bolsters this. It doesn't talk down to children and it kind of accepts that there are things that they are going to enjoy that maybe adults would not approve of. It's grotesque and macabre. Sometimes it's almost gleefully rude. And it's kind of this whole thing, like you said, of kind of being especially for kids, having this mm. kind of conspirator feeling. Um, and it's almost kind of got this Dickensian sense sometimes of these kind of concerns about poverty and orphans um, that again is played up with this use of language. So speaking of children going off in search of new adventure, that leads us very nicely into this week's new in cinema. And the two films that I want to mention are Swallows and Amazons and Hunt for the Wilder People. Swallows and Amazons is in cinemas now and it's a really lovely adaptation of the Arthur Ransom novel that you probably all grew up reading about a family on holiday in the Lake District and the young children go off in search of adventure on their sailing boat and come into contact with all sorts of pirates and other dastardly people. It's a really sweet and gentle, charming film and it has that Dalian spirit of adventure that we were talking about earlier, about letting children take risks and going off and being free and just enjoying themselves, exploring. It's a really lovely, gentle film, and I'd urge you to go and see it. Another film that's for slightly older audiences, it's a 12A, but I want to mention it here, is Hunt for the Wilder People, which is out in a couple of weeks' time. And that's another adventure story. It's about a troubled young foster child who goes off on an adventure in the New Zealand bus with his foster father and they get up to all sorts of hijinks as a massive manhunt continues. It's one of the funniest films I've seen in years. It's incredibly, incredibly charming. It's become New Zealand's biggest film of all time, I think. Maybe maybe, maybe just behind Lord of the Rings, but it's still fairly, fairly extraordinary its success and it's just utterly wonderful and I'd really urge you to go and see that too. Another new cinema release that you should really look out for is Kubo and the Two Strings. So this is a Leica animation, um, which is the studio that produced films such as most recently Box Trolls and Paranorman and Coraline as well. So very much in this kind of vein of doing the sort of darker side of family entertainment with these kind of very witty scripts and slightly scary adventures, actually. Um, and this one is all about a young boy who is kind of forced to go on an adventure with the aid of a samurai beetle and a monkey. Um, and it's set in ancient Japan. It's very much in the kind of vein of epic adventures such as Jason and the Argonauts and things like that. And um, they really pull all the kind of stop-motion animation tricks out of the box here. There are some fantastic monsters to look out for, as well as some very beautiful sets and costumes, um, all inspired by ancient Japan. Um, another one that I think, kind of going off on this vein of kind of more scary and gothic tales, is um, Miss Peregrine, which will be out a bit later in the autumn. Um, so it's Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. It's directed by Tim Burton. Um, and again, it's got this very distinctive visual style, and it's all about these children that have special powers. And there's one particular child who is kind of, doesn't, he's not aware of his own power yet, and he's kind of been forced to track down um, the Home for Peculiar Children through a kind of um, mysterious series of clues um, from his own past. And when he arrives, um, they're all kind of waiting for him to do something special to kind of save them. Um, I think it might be a little bit more scary than some of the other things that we've mentioned, so I reckon it will probably end up with a 12A certificate for that one. So slightly older audience in mind for that particular film. So lots of exciting cinema trips to look forward to. Now, all of these films have the feel of the kinds of stories that Roald Dahl would have been producing were he alive today. So, expanding on this theme, we have written a blog imagining what else he might have been doing were he working in the film industry. 
so do go over to the Interfilm site and have a read. We have a very exciting Roald Dahl themed competition, you won't be surprised to hear, and it's all about review writing, which is what we are really keen to encourage all of the time here at Interfilm. We want young people to write in their reviews of any Roald Dahl film they have seen. Um, just go onto the filmclub.org website and write the review on the relevant film page and we will read them all and at the end of the term we will pick our three winners and those three winners will receive some fantastic prizes. Now what fantastic prizes will they receive? Well they will receive a copy of a new BFG film on DVD, a box set featuring 15 of Roald Dahl's most celebrated books and most excitingly an animation set, so they can make their own Roald Dahl themed stop motion animations. So do please encourage as many young people as possible to enter the competition. We love reading all of the reviews and it would be fantastic to get loads and loads of entries for this competition and there are some great prizes on offer. So um, do go onto the Interfilm website and find out more information. Thank you for listening to our Roald Dahl themed podcast today. Um, this will be up on SoundCloud as well as um, some archives of our previous podcast for you to listen to. Um, and in the comments section, there will be links to all of the films we've mentioned, as well as some of the articles and all of the fantastic resources as well. Um, and also you can check out YouTube, um, Get Into Film, um, for a very special Spielberg interview all about the new BFG film. Absolutely. Do send us any feedback on Twitter about the podcast or any other activity that we're doing here at Interfilm. Any podcasts you might want us to cover in the future, perhaps. We'd love to hear from you. So our next episode of the podcast is going to be our Interfilm Festival Strands Overview. And again, continuing in our tradition for this term, we are going to be mixing up the formula a little bit. Um, so we'll be talking about both primary and secondary titles to give you a real taste of what we've got on offer for the festival it's a really exciting lineup um so do look out for that and don't forget to go on and book your festival tickets as we say september the 6th is the magic day we've got loads of roll dial events but we've got all sorts of other films as well so do keep an eye on the website and book quickly to avoid disappointment okay so that just about wraps things up i hope you've enjoyed it um until the next time it's goodbye from eleanor and it's goodbye from myself I don't like the look of it. Oompa, loompa, doompa dee da. If you're not greedy, you will go far. You will live in happiness too. Like the